You may be seated. Hey, let me just take a moment while you're finding your seat to brag on our worship team. Didn't they do an awesome job leading us this morning? So what you have before you on the stage was kind of a combination of uh, of, uh, really, it's kind of the mixture of several different teams that we use that we brought together today. And so I joked with them before we started rehearsal this morning that this was our, this was our Avengers Sunday because this is the Sunday when all, you know what I'm saying, all the groups come together and we've got kind of the combination of our forces. So the Avengers uh, did a good job this morning uh, in leading us. We're excited for that. Well, before we jump into our text this morning, we want to take a moment to dismiss any children who are fourth grade and under to head upstairs with our leadership for Kids Crew. This is a time of worship designed specifically for these kids, a great time. Parents, if you've got some, if, if you're visiting with us today and you've got a child that's fourth grade or younger and you want to release them, you can do that. They are certainly welcome to stay with you if, if you would rather they stay with you or if they would be more comfortable. You're also free to go with them if, if that would help make the transition a little bit easier for them this morning. But this is a time of worship just for our kids. And as they make their way upstairs to be in our kids' crew room with our leaders, I just want to also take a moment to brag on all of our leaders who pour into our kids. Uh, we've got right now, even not, not just these that you've seen moving, but down the hall in our preschool area, we've got a team of people who are rocking babies and, and, and making crafts with three-year-olds, and, and, uh, and, and, and we're just grateful for their service, that they are faithful each and every week. We have a rotation of people that do that, and we're blessed. We're thankful to have them. Acts chapter 13 this morning. Now, you may say, Acts, hang on a second, because if you've been with us for the last, well, few months, really, this year, you know that we are working our way systematically through the Bible. But we are going to be in Acts this morning, rather than where we've been in the Old Testament. And the reason is because I've chosen a text this morning that offers sort of a, a summary of sorts, okay? Uh, like, a, like a summary that brings all the things together. So this is what we're doing this year in 2023. We are working our way through the Bible in 2023. We're doing a reading plan together. And if you would like to join with us, then we would, we would invite you, jump in with us. It may be Easter Sunday and we may be about a quarter of the way through the year, but you can either start in the beginning or you can just find out where we are now and just jump in with us. If you go to our website, there on the same page where our sermons live on our website, you can find a link that will connect you to a Bible reading plan that we are using this year. Also, if you use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app for those that use that, just pick the canonical reading plan for the year. Canonical just means that you start in Genesis and you read it like a book all the way to Revelation as opposed to a chronological reading plan, which is where you follow more of like the historical timeline of when things would have happened. So with a chronological plan, you jump around a little bit. Canonical plan, you just start in chapter one and read to the end as it were, okay? But you can follow along. Also, if you're savvy enough to do this, you can just wait around till after the message today and we'll have announcement slides that scroll and on one of those slides there's a QR code that you can just scan that QR code and it'll take you to the page on our website where you can link directly from there but we would encourage you jump in with us in the Bible reading plan we've been reading in recent days 
in First and Second Samuel, even this week, we just started in the last few days in First Kings, and we're, we're going through the story of the life of David and David's sons and all that happened in the life of Israel during the time that David reigned, and then his son Solomon now begins to reign as we've started reading in First Kings in those early chapters of First Kings. And so what we see in the life of David is we see someone who lived with the heart of God. Now, if you've read along, you know that That doesn't mean that David was perfect. In fact, far from it. David was actually a rather complicated figure. He was a complicated guy, and the history of who David was and what David did, I mean, really, to get the full picture of that, you're going to have to read that. But we know, nonetheless, that despite his flaws, despite his imperfections, David was a man after God's heart because God says as much. 1 Samuel chapter 13, God says that I have found a man to rule over Israel who's a man after my heart. Acts chapter 13, the passage that we're going to look at even today, in Acts 13, it refers to David as a man after God's heart. So in spite of all his complications, in spite of his, his, his strengths and his weaknesses, David was a man after God's own heart. Now before we really even get into the message, this isn't the main thrust of the message, but can we just stop there and say there's hope for us when we look at a figure like David, when we understand who David was and what David did, there's hope for us in that because David was not perfect. He wasn't anything close to perfect and yet God used him because he was yielded to the Lord. He made himself available to God and my hope is that this morning you would be challenged to make yourself available to God. Are you perfect? Let me answer for you, no. I saw a lot of wives nudging their husbands in that moment. No, you're not perfect but you know what? The goal isn't perfection. The goal is to be healthy. The goal is to be healthy before the Lord, to be yielded to him, to be submitted to him. We know that this side of heaven, we will never be perfect. And yet, praise God, someday we will be perfect and we will be with Jesus forever for, forever and ever to come in, in that perfected state because of what we sang about, what we celebrated, what we gathered together for this morning because of the resurrection of Jesus that he conquered sin and death on our behalf so that we can have victory and we trust in his promise that someday he's coming again and when he comes again he will inaugurate an eternal kingdom that will, that will reign and rule forever and even in the meantime we know that he reigns in heaven and he can have lordship over our hearts and our lives if we live surrendered to him. When I was in high school I had a class. This was my sophomore year of high school. The teacher in the class was Mr. Morrison, Bob Morrison. Bob Morrison was both at the same time my, my government teacher, so I was in a class at school that was called government, and go figure, we studied the United States government. That was the whole point of the class, right? But I had Coach Morrison, because he was also the basketball coach, so he was my, my JV basketball coach. He was my sophomore U.S. government teacher and also at the same time my Sunday school teacher on Sundays and so I got a lot of Coach Morrison that year I got a lot of Bob Morrison he actually is a really great man who who influenced my life in a lot of tremendous ways but one of the things that that I'll forever remember about Coach Morrison's class is that we had we had government each day in the middle of lunch so it was fourth hour and so we would go to class and we would be in class for a little while and then we would be dismissed for lunch and then we would come back and finish fourth hour. So government class kind of split, was split with our lunch break. That was just the way the schedule worked at my high school. And when we came back from lunch each day, Coach Morrison would be sitting at his desk with his feet on the desk. And he would have his little 
radio sitting behind his desk and he'd be like, when it was time to start up on the second half of class, he'd be like, all right, you guys listen up. And he would turn up AM 1000 and you know what we would listen to at noon each day? Paul Harvey, okay? This is the rest of the story, all right? Hello, America. This is Paul Harvey. Stand by for news. If you've ever listened, you know exactly. If you are probably a millennial or younger, you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. You can Google it. That's how you guys find out about us old people, right? Uh, But you can Google that, and you can learn about Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. Well, the reason I bring that up is because every day what Paul Harvey would do is he would start in, and he would tell a news story, and he he would build kind of to that point of a cliffhanger and then he would say, all right, and stand by. We'll come back in just a minute with the rest of the story. And then he'd take a break and sell a few commercials and, you know, do his pitch and that sort of thing. And he'd come back and tell the rest of the story. Well, what we have in Acts 13 in so many ways is like the rest of the story. Everything that we've read in the Old Testament has been building up to that moment of crescendo. Last week, we studied in 2 Samuel chapter 7 what we called the Davidic covenant. That was a special covenant, a special, a special promise that God made to David about someone who would reign on the throne of David forever. But what we understood is that God wasn't promising an earthly king and an earthly kingdom, though there was an element of its earthly, its timely fulfillment. But really what God was promising David was something that was far greater, a spiritual king and a spiritual kingdom that would reign and rule forever, and that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. And Acts chapter 13 helps to paint that picture for us. If you were, imagine this as we read this together in a moment. If you can hear Paul Harvey's voice, and I can, imagine that I'm reading this in Paul Harvey's distinctive. I'm not even going to try to do that, right? That would make a mockery of the moment. But, But imagine that we're getting the rest of the story as it were. So let's read together in Acts 13. I want to just begin in verse 17. Acts 13, beginning in verse 17. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop at certain points and just point to a few things. But we're going to read all the way to verse 41, okay? So from 17 to 41, I'm going to point to a few highlights along the way. But let's read about this story that we find ourselves in. So Paul is preaching, by the way, before we jump into this, for all that we know, really, this is Paul's first recorded sermon. Now, I, don't, I don't believe necessarily that this was the first time that Paul preached per se, and yet this is the first of Paul's messages that we have recorded here in the book of Acts now as Paul and Barnabas have just begun what we refer to as their first missionary journey, and they're in Antioch of Pisidia. That was an, there were a couple of Antioch cities in the ancient Near East. One of them was located right in the heart of modern-day Turkey. It was the capital of the southern region that, would, that we would commonly think of as Galatia. So the Galatians, the churches, or the letter to Galatians, right, was written to churches in the area where Antioch of Pisidia was. And this is Paul's message to those who are gathered in Acts 13. Again, verse 17. The God of this people, Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. What a way for, God to de- or for Paul to describe the relationship between God and his people, right? God put up with them. But that's what he says in verse 18, well, rather verse 19. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he, went, when he removed him, he raised up David. 
David to be their heir, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. That is so key that we understand. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that we saw last week. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. We'll come back and talk more about that in a minute. Verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me, one is coming. The sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which they read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And this verse is important. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers... This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also is written in the second psalm. Now this morning, what I want us to focus on is this, the heart of what we just read. That what God promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us because of Jesus. Let's keep reading. And then this is a quotation from the psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served his purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said about the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. This same Jesus that Paul preached about is the Jesus that we've gathered together this morning to celebrate to, to glory in the victory of his resurrection, to celebrate together, just as we do every Sunday when we gather together. Every Sunday for us truly is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is a day that we gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But this day, most of all, I suppose, on Easter Sunday, we focus on the resurrection of Christ. But did you read? Did you hear? Did you listen and comprehend what Paul said? He said that it was because of this resurrection that we have hope. It was because of this resurrection that we have freedom. It was through this resurrection that we can be freed because everyone who believes, we read in verse 39, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law. Jesus sets us free when we place our faith and our trust in him. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we come to glory. And that's what we want to, to proclaim this morning is the freedom and the forgiveness made available through faith 
in Jesus. In this passage, there are really three movements that I want us to look at. Three points that we've provided. You can see on the back of your worship guide, there are three main points that you can, as you follow along and you'll fill in the blanks like we do every week. There are kind of three points that are going to drive the message. But these are, each of them kind of linked to the, the three movements of this. And in a sense, it's kind of tying it all together, past, present, and future, right? Now, it's not our present. It was Paul's present reality. But nonetheless, Paul is, he's looking back into the past. He's bringing it into the present moment and he's pointing to all that God is going to do in the future. And that's what I want us to see this morning as we look at sort of these, uh, these movements, as we understand what Paul is teaching. Because it's just as true and just as applicable to us today in 2023 as it was when Paul preached it the first time. And so the first thing that I want us to see is that through Jesus, we have a foundation for our faith. Through Jesus, we have a foundation for our faith. Now, you know what a foundation is, right? A foundation is, is something that, that other things are, are, are built upon. When you, think of, when you think of your home and you think of the fact that they come into your home and they, and they build the walls, many of us probably live in homes that have a poured concrete foundation, though not everyone. Some people have perhaps a raised foundation. But nonetheless, there's, there's something, there's a structure, a substructure even of some sort that your house is built on, that the walls and the roof and everything else rest on, something that supports that weight, something that, 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 that holds everything else up, and that's the foundation. Some years ago, when Rayleigh and I were getting ready to move to Chickasha, we had accepted the call from the church to come here, and we were selling the house that we lived in in order to move to Chickasha, and we were going to buy a house here and all of that. And when the inspection was done on our home where we were living, which was in Yukon, we found out that our foundation had settled and that we were going to have to pay to have someone come in and do piers. They were going to have to to drive piers down and and essentially jack up our foundation, a corner of the house that had settled, which is a very common thing in Oklahoma because of the type of soil that we have and and that sort of thing, that sometimes we have foundation, foundation issues. And we couldn't sell our house, we couldn't move on and go through that transaction and all that until we dealt with the issue to our foundation. The truth of the matter is that we all have a foundation of sorts that our lives rest on, a foundation of understanding, a foundation of belief. And you may say, well, I don't. I don't have a foundation, and what I would argue is that we do. We all do. Even if, even if you consider yourself to be skeptical about things of Christianity, even if you're here today because you're with family or you're with friends, someone invited you, and maybe you come into this place and you feel somewhat skeptical uh, about the things of Christ. Maybe you even consider yourself sort of uh, secular in your understanding, agnostic, even perhaps some, maybe even as far as to say atheist, but you just consider... But what I would propose is that we all, all of us have certain pre- presuppositions. All of us have presuppositional ideas. All of us have foundational understandings about the world, the way things ought to be, the way that things ought to work. And so you have a foundation of some sort. Now, we may not have the same foundation. Unreservedly, unapologetically, I would admit that my foundation rests on the Word of God, the truth of God, and that's, that's where I live. That's where I begin. That's the, the basis of my understanding and my faith. And, and whether you share that with me or not, the truth is we all have some kind of foundation that our lives rest upon. The question that we've all got to wrestle with is, how secure is my foundation? How secure are the things that uphold my beliefs? Uh, how, how firm is that foundation? What we have here is a summary of sorts 
Paul is, the way Paul is preaching, he's dipping back in history and he's starting at a, at a certain point. Now, admittedly, Paul's not starting at the very beginning. He's not starting with Adam and Eve in creation. He picks, he, he's, he's crafted a message here. He's picked a message that suits his audience. But nonetheless, he's reaching back and he's taking the story of these people and he's explaining to them how that very story lays a foundation for their belief in Jesus and their understanding of who Jesus was. And I, I hope to do the same this morning, just to simply point to this passage, point to this truth, and say that everything that we understand to be true about the resurrection of Jesus rests on that foundation, that God made promises, and that he has worked to fulfill those promises, which really brings us to the second point of the message, the second movement, if you will. So I would think that the first movement would start in verse 17 and go through about verse 25, and then beginning in verse 26, we see this, that through Jesus, we have the fulfillment of God's promise. We have the fulfillment of God's promise. Now, I'm not just reaching into the air to pull that out because Paul tells us as much in verse 27, right? Look at what he writes in verse 27. He talks about the, uh, the, the truths that were read every Sunday by the prophets. Every, well, it wasn't Sunday, I should say. It was every Sabbath, which would have been Saturday for them. Every time they gathered, they would have read from the scriptures. They would have read these truths from the prophets because what was common in the worship of the Jews is that when they would gather together, they would read from the Tanakh. That was their word for the Old Testament. And so they would read from a portion from the law, a portion from the prophets, a portion from the historical books. And so they would read these things. So there would have been a reading from the prophets when they gathered together for worship. And this is what Paul says. When we read the prophets, we see these promises and they're fulfilled, they're fulfilled Look at that, right? They fulfilled them by condemning him. So the people who, the very people who didn't accept Jesus as Messiah, as God's chosen one, actually fulfilled God's word by, by rejecting him because this is what the prophets foretold. And, and we go on, and the point that Paul is making is that God worked even through their disbelief. God worked even through their rejection of his truth. Even through their rejection of Jesus, God was working in all of that to fulfill his word and his promise. Truth of the matter is, God's always at work in our lives. He's always at work. He's at work all around us. The point that Paul is making is that Jesus is the one who was promised in the Old Testament scriptures, and he was. Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah. That word Messiah, you've maybe heard that word before. That word just means anointed. It means that he's God's select, God's chosen one. Jesus was God's chosen one, his, his anointed one, his Messiah, whom he sent to pay the price for the sins of his people. Because Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus did for this original audience as well what they could never do for themselves. And that he suffered and died as payment for their sin and he rose victoriously from the grave in fulfillment. Later in time, Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing to this church that he administered among, and, and he writes about the, the resurrection of Jesus. First Corinthians 15, he, he says that we, we, the things that we told you about, that, that Christ died, and then he uses these words, Christ died according to the scriptures, 
was resurrected according to the scriptures. Right? That, the, the point that Paul makes again and again in his, in his ministry and his teaching is that what Jesus did was the fulfillment of the promise that God had made because he wants to connect those dots so that we understand that God is faithful and true to his word. And just as God was faithful to his word, then he's still faithful to his word now. He's still at work. He's still faithful to his promise in our lives. Part of the problem is that sometimes we misunderstand Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. Sometimes we even mis, mis, uh, have misgivings or, or misrepresent what God has promised. When we make God's promises to somehow center on us, that when I trust in God, then everything's going to go the way that I want. Everything's going to work out the way that I want. I'm, never gonna, I'm always going to be happy. I'm never going to struggle. I'm never going to go through hardship. I'm never going to go through trouble. I'm never going to have trials and pain. You know what I would say the problem with that is? The problem with that is that just does not fit at all with what the Bible teaches. Read the New Testament. And if you follow along with us, we will eventually, right? We'll read the New Testament. But when we read the New Testament, what we see is that Jesus promised his disciples there will be hardship and trial. He promised his disciples that they will, his disciples that they will face difficulty. In fact, in John 16, 33, after having already told his disciples that the world's going to hate you because it hated me first in John 15, in John 16, verse 33, he says... I tell you this, in this world you will face trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus never promised us a life free from trial. What he promises us is that he will always be with us in the midst of the trial. He never promises us a life free of pain. What he says is that we will never walk through the pain alone. And that because of his power, because of his Holy Spirit, whom he sends to dwell with us by faith when we trust in Jesus, we have this promise fulfilled in our day, in our moment, in our lifetime. And that's what he points to here when he says, as we read, we bring you, this is verse 32, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Do you see that? By raising Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise that he made in in ages past, in days of old. And so what we gather together this morning to celebrate, what we sing about, what gives us hope, the reason that we all get fancied up and dressed up and come to church on Easter Sunday morning is because we believe that Jesus fulfills God's promise. And through faith in him, we can have life and hope and peace, which really is the, the point of the, the third point, the third movement. Through Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins and the freedom from sin's curse. Notice what he says in the very next verse. We read in verse 32 and then into verse 33. But in, the, in verse 34, he says, And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead. Now that's an important point. He says, as for the fact, the resurrection of Jesus was a fact. It was a fact. It was a a factual, actual event that it did in fact happen. God did raise Jesus from the dead. It is a historical fact. Now there are some who want to argue the reliability, the, the historicity of that. We don't have enough time even this morning to 
to, to chase that, I, I suppose, in, in the way that we could. But can I just offer you that the simplest of proofs, this is, and this is admittedly rather basic, rather foundational, but the, the simplest of proofs that would, that would verify, that would testify to the resurrection of Jesus is the church. It's us. It's you and I. When we gather together, we bear witness to the risen Christ. The reason that we're still going in 2023, nearly 2,000 years removed from the resurrection of Jesus, is because, in fact, God did raise Jesus from the dead, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, if, if, if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, then we, most of all, ought to be pitied. Because we've based our lives on a lie. But, in fact, God did raise him from the dead. And so we have, we have everything to glory and celebrate because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. And because Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, we have the forgiveness of sins and the freedom from sin's curse. What he wrote in verse 38 and verse 39, I think, is really the heart of the message. I mean, if, if you were to distill this truth down to one central point, what God has been doing all the way back from the time of David and the promise that he made to David that he would send one who would reign forever on his throne and that he would establish a kingdom that would reign and rule for eternity, which in fact he has done through Jesus. The heart of that message we read in verses 38 and 39. Let it be known to you therefore that through this man, of course speaking of Jesus, through Jesus Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed. Do you see that? Through faith in Jesus, we are given freedom from everything, every weight, everything that holds us down. The sin, the curse of sin, and all of its effects, because we know that the wages of sin are death. The curse of sin brings death, but through faith in Jesus, we have life. Because Jesus sets us free. Friends, as we trust in Jesus, we have freedom. Freedom to live in the forgiveness that is made available through the blood of Jesus, which paid the price for our sins, and the resurrection of Jesus, which which sealed this promise of conquering sin and death. But not only do we have freedom from sins, but we have freedom from the curse of sin, which means we can have victory in life and hope and joy and peace, even in this moment. Even in this lifetime, in this time, that we live now because Jesus won the victory for us. Because Jesus sets us free. But notice that he concludes this message with a warning. And I want to conclude the message this morning with a warning as well. Because read what he, what he goes on to say in the very following verse. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. What was said in the prophets, right? That begs the question. What was said in the prophets? Well, he quotes here from the prophets. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. In other words, this is, this is the challenge. This is the warning. Beware lest you hear this truth and you think, no, nah, that's not for me. He's talking to somebody else. That's not for me. I don't, I don't need that. Friends, every one of us, every one of us must consider what we do with this truth. Every one of us, whether we do it in this lifetime or whether we do it some, 
Someday in the time to come when we stand in judgment before Almighty God, every one of us will have to give an account. No one would dare stand before God in that day and say, well, I was, I was a really a pretty, good, I was a pretty good guy. You know, I really, I loved my family. I was nice to people. Yeah, there were a few mistakes along the way, but I mean, on the whole, I feel like I was all right. Because in the eyes of Almighty God, we are utterly worthless, laid bare. Now, that's not a popular truth a lot these days. We, we love to build ourselves up, and there's a lot of self-efficacy, a lot of self-affirmation in, in our modern culture and our modern ideals, and that's a whole other thing to pick apart someday. But the point is just this. The understanding that we all live with is that we are flawed. We are sinful. We are far from perfect. And the message of the gospel is that in spite of our sin, in spite of our flaws, we can have victory through faith in Jesus. Not by a better version of you. You see, Jesus didn't come and die on the cross and rise from the grave to make you better. He didn't come because you were bad and he came to make you good. He came because you were dead and he came to give you life. And what Jesus has accomplished through his resurrection is he sets us free to live in the freedom for forgiveness from sins and the freedom from sin's curse. Praise God, we can be set free in Jesus. The question that we have to consider is, will I trust in him? Will I receive this promise by faith? And all I know to do is to stand before you today and point you to the word of God, the truth of God, proclaim this message, and beg you to respond in faith, to urge you to trust Jesus by faith, to surrender your heart and your life to him, to quit trying to do it on your own, in your own strength, in your own ways, in your own might, but to surrender to Jesus. Because there is no freedom in a better version of you. That's just putting lipstick on a pig, right? I mean, there's no freedom in just trying harder, doing better, being more... The only freedom comes when we surrender everything completely to Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for our sin and we trust him by faith. And in a moment as we respond to this truth, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, then I would urge you to make today the day that you surrender to him in faith. Even as we stand and we sing in a moment, we would encourage you to step out and come. We're going to have pastors stationed here across the front. And we would urge you, even as we sing, to come forward. And that may feel to you a little uncomfortable. That may feel like it's a little bit out of your comfort zone. I, I get it. No, I do. I really do. I understand that. But can I, can I urge you? Can I plead with you? Don't let a, a certain degree of your comfort stand in the way of, of receiving by faith all that God has for you. Because I promise what he has, what he offers in Jesus, the freedom, the forgiveness, the hope, the life through faith in Jesus is worth it. So in that moment, if you've never received Jesus by faith, we would encourage you that you would come. Take us by the hand. Let us just pray with you a, a prayer of faith. We'll walk you through. We'll guide you through step by step. Just a simple prayer of faith that you would surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. Maybe there's been a moment in your life where you've, you've made that decision. You know you've trusted in Jesus by faith. But perhaps this morning God is stirring your heart because though you've trusted in Jesus by faith, you're still trying to do it on your own. And what God is saying to you this morning is, quit trying to do it on your own. 
You don't have to do it on your own. Rather, if we would live surrendered, yielded to him, his power, his strength is enough. If he can fulfill his promise, if he can bring these things to pass, friend, then he has more than enough to guide you and give you what you need. Would you trust him? Would you surrender your life to him? Would you live yielded to Jesus? The call this morning is for us to respond to a God who loved us and gave himself for us that we might live in the freedom of forgiveness, that we would live in the freedom from everything from which you could not be free on your own, but which is made available to you by faith in Jesus. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes as we prepare for this moment of response this morning? I want to urge you to consider again the question that I've laid before you today. Have you trusted Jesus by faith? Have you received by faith his Holy Spirit as the seal of his promise that he gives when we turn to him? Even as we sing this song together in a moment. If God is if he's tugging at your heart is the way we often describe it. If, if you sense that, that leadership from within, that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, then friend, I pray that you would make this the moment. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we, we are grateful that our hope is not based in our own works, our own righteousness, our own doing. Rather, it is tied to you, Jesus, and what you did for us on the cross and, and, and the power of your resurrection. And now as we live in and relish in that freedom, the forgiveness that is made available to us, the freedom from sin's curse, Lord, we ask that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit as we walk day by day. Be all in us, God, that we may use all that we have, every moment, every breath, every strength, every gift, everything, to point others to faith and use it. It's by your name that we pray this this morning. Why don't we stand?